Gyro Nation Metal. Welcome back to Gyro Nation Metal as we continue the countdown to the Loudest Hell Festival from July 29th to 31st in Drumheller, Alberta. Neck of the Woods is a Canadian progressive death metal band out of Vancouver, BC, and they'll be playing on the 31st, preceding only the festival's headliner, Angel Maker. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jeff Radomski, the group's vocalist, and Dave Carr, one of the group's guitarists. Neck of the Woods released their last album in 2020, titled Annex of Ire. This year, they are booked for both the Loudest Hell Festival, as well as the Armstrong Metal Fest, and will have completed a tour spanning the west coast of the U.S. Neck of the Woods also received the Thrasher's Paradise Canadian Album of the Year Award in 2020. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us around. Anytime. So I know we chatted a little bit before the show here about genres and what your your music is considered. So there's a little bit of back and forth between whether it's death metal or um, metal core. So what do you guys prefer and why? Definitely. I'll go for it. Yeah, here. we're definitely way more death metal than metal core because that's way cooler and that's what we care about. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, metal metal core is a little constricting of a of a genre to be uh stuck in but um i it's you know you throw the term progressive in front of it and all of a sudden you get away with doing way more so yeah progressive metalcore is cool progressive death metal is cool um we've always just done what naturally uh comes to us or play what we want to play sort of thing so uh the the result is just just us so whether that's metalcore or death metal that's totally cool but uh let's let's go with death metal for now (laughs) <laughs> Sounds good. That seems to be like my favorite genre. So um, why do you think that metalcore would be something that's so restrictive? Uh, I think, I don't know. I feel like a lot of those uh, those bands got pigeonholed into, you, you know, you don't hear those. Well, I'm dating myself now, but uh, uh, a lot of metalcore <laughs> bands, you know, I guess I think back to the standard breakdowns. You got to have two to three breakdowns per song. They're sort of fell into that formula for a long time. But now, you know, with with gent and and extended range guitars, you know, breakdowns are not the same as they were in the metalcore days. Um, so yeah, you know, it's it's as metal has evolved throughout the years. I mean, there's so many subgenres now as well. But um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, metalcore seem to get pigeonholed a little bit more into what to expect from each song, where where we don't really sort of fall into that category. I don't think. What would an extended range guitar be, or what, what does that term mean? Ah, so extended range guitar, uh, so as you can see, my six-string guitar behind me, or maybe you can't, extended range guitar would be a seven-string guitar, uh, an eight-string guitar, okay. um, you know, getting into the fan fret stuff, um, and uh, further into the gen, uh, uh, genre, um, yeah, extended, extended range for those extra low notes and those extra crushing breakdowns. Oh, okay. oh that makes yeah. sense. Cool. But not for us. We're classic six-string users. <laughs> yeah. Would you also say that metalcore is a little bit restricted because of there's the assumption that clean singing kind of has to be there? Ah, yeah, and that's something we don't do at all. Um, I can't. Think. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that. Yeah, we never. Uh, I, I I honestly have kind of forgot that was part of the metalcore scene. Um, having the clean singing, um, yeah, we never, never really got too much into that sort of stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, 
And so as we move into your music, like obviously there's clear death metal and, and metalcore aspects. Um, did you guys consciously blend the two together to create Neck of the Woods? Um, no, again, it kind of just happened naturally, the type of riffs that we were writing um, and really just came down to the type of stuff that we wanted to play that was fun. Um, it's all a very organic process uh, when the riffs when the riffs are being written. Um, never really go out of our way to write something that sounds like this or sounds like that. We just kind of start... We start with a riff and it snowballs from there and then this sounds cool and that sounds cool, but it'd be cool to go into a clean part there and we need a little build up here. So yeah, it kind of just starts with a few riffs and then evolves, but um, it's never really on purpose to create a particular sound. It's it's a pretty organic uh, sound coming from us, I'd say. It's just what we like to play and uh, what's fun to play live over and over and in the jam space as well, working on these tunes. And just, just what feels good, I yeah, guess. Yeah, totally feels good do it exactly yeah i feel like pretty frequently the metalcore thing also um we get lumped into that because of the sound of my voice and because i don't follow the um typical death metal like keeping the same kind of tonality like you hear my regular speaking voice pretty often in our stuff and that like you can kind of tell what i sound like when i speak uh because we kind of have that like I've always been really influenced by bands like Misery Signals, very obviously. Um, and you know, one of my favorite singers is um, I don't know what his last name is. It's Guy from the Red Chord, um, who you know uses his open voice pretty often. And I recognize that's kind of like a trademark of metalcore and hardcore and that kind of stuff. Uh, and I think just because I lean in that direction, it often kind of shoehorns us in there. But yeah. It's fun. Like your your vocal styles, I guess it's kind of like a mix between, like it's like a sing scream kind of. I guess so. I can't really sing. I love karaoke though. It's a <laughs> lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, no, I can't sing at all. Um, yeah, what comes out is just kind of what feels natural in the moment based on what the song sounds like. It's kind of nice having the enunciation in there, you know. So it's like you don't have to understand every word he says, but you can generally generally get across what uh what jeff's screaming about for the most part i find a lot of a lot of people especially with the passenger a lot of comments we get uh regarding the lyrics and the circumstances around that album um and uh maybe people didn't relate to annex of ire as much um because different lyric uh topics and whatnot but um yeah so i we've always loved how jeff can be pretty dynamic and yeah like you said have the clear uh, type of screaming where you can't understand what he's saying, but you can also do crazy gutturals or whatever you need, and it's just a classic Jeff. When the time when the time calls for it. And you talked about a, a little bit of the differences between um, lyrical content between the two albums. Uh, what was the de- decision for the change, and why did you, yeah? I guess why did you just choose that different direction? Um, well, when it came to lyrically um, deciding what both records were about like it's I'm, I'm very transparent with my life uh, in our lyrics and at the time that we were writing the passenger my sister was diagnosed with brain cancer mm-hmm. um, and the writing of that record really helped me handle it it was cathartic it was nice to write about it to write kind of letters of support to my sister in the form of lyrics in a song uh, a good chunk of those lyrics I wrote while I was in the waiting room waiting for her during her craniotomy um so it was a really emotional record for me uh, and that absolutely was an emotional record for 
for Dave as well, because Dave is pretty connected with my family and has spent a good chunk of time with my sister and with my parents and whatnot. So like it was, yeah, it was a little bit more heart stringy, um, which, which I think really connected with a lot of people because I really wore my heart on my sleeve with that album and spoke really directly from the heart. Uh, whereas with Annex of Ire, um, yeah, I was just fucking mad to be totally transparent. I <laughs> like a bunch of stuff had happened over the couple of years, um, since the release of the passenger and I was kind of salty about it. So I wrote about it and I wrote about how I felt angry and how dealing with those emotions was challenging. And, you know, writing things like um, ambivalence where I'm saying cut the man down and, and fuck the high road and stuff were feelings that I experienced in that moment, but mm-hmm. weren't, you know, anthems that I choose to live by, by any means. But um, so I think because they were a little bit more aggressive, it kind of fell into the mix of just like, oh yeah, it's just another metal singer being mad about whatever. Um, so it kind of just wasn't nearly as um, accessible to people who, were interested in hearing something that was a little bit more maybe authentic or um, or genuine from the heart kind of thing. But it is how I felt. And that's kind of how our lyrics and themes often go. It's usually just kind of follows the life cycle of, of pretty much Dave and I. <laughs> hmm. And how, how is your sister doing, by the way? She's doing well. Yeah, she's, she's doing really well. She's uh, She's a mural artist, so she's painting nonstop, making incredible artwork, and she's... Yeah, she's five years and a few months past her um, surgery date, so she's she's been she's been living well, man. That's incredible. That's really good to hear. Um, for anyone who is interested, where could we find her artwork? Uh, her artist's uh, name, I suppose, or monk here, it was Sarah Slaughter Art. So you can check out her Instagram. Uh, it's Sarah with an H. I'm sure you can spell slaughter. Um, yeah, she's based in Calgary, Alberta, and does a pretty wide range of both digital design and physical painting, and as I just mentioned, a ton of mural work. So if you're in mm-hmm. and around the Calgary, Alberta area, I'm sure you'll be able to see some of her artwork plastered on the sides of buildings downtown. That sounds awesome, because uh, that's my home city, so I will definitely go and try to find some of this stuff. You're right on, me too. That's really cool. Um, now apart from music how did you stay so positive throughout that entire thing and and how else did you help your sister oh i'm very lucky to have a really great support system um i have an incredible partner um my wife anastasia really helped me out with it my parents are both really incredible people who are very you know flexible and forgiving and and are are just pillars of of support who are seemingly made of iron because they handled that situation with style and grace Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, you're talking to one of them. David is one of my best friends, and he was there for me day in and day out of every part of that situation. And, and a couple other close friends and the other guys that were in the band. Some of the members, actually, yeah, all three of the members who were around at that point in time aren't in the band at the moment. But during the time, they were there for me when I needed them. So it was um, it was incredibly helpful to have such a wonderful network of supportive people there leaning. Uh, there for me to lean on. And when it came to me helping my sister, because I had such great pillars of support, I was able to just give her all of my time and my undivided attention. And I was lucky enough to be able to kind of drop everything and go back to Calgary and spend some time uh, just, you know, at her side, spending as much time conversing and hanging out and, and enjoying time together. That's an incredible way to, um, 
face such a trial and, and such a shitty circumstance. That must have meant the world to her. Yeah, I think so. It was actually pretty wild because we um, we did a short run supporting the band Misery Signals uh, where we did four or five shows uh, in Western Canada and my sister came with us and she was at our show with them in Edmonton, which was just incredible, a, you know, a hometown for that band. Um, so she was in the van with us and two days later she was on an operating table. Mm -hmm. uh, so she she's very connected to this band and has always been incredibly supportive of it. So in playing that music, it's very cathartic for me, and it, it makes it a lot easier to handle such a challenging situation. But again, I've I've been very, very lucky to have such great people in my life that make it a lot easier to swallow. It's also kind of cool that you've uh, essentially immortalized that message and that, that um, attitude towards the whole situation by putting it into music and playing it live and having um, people from across the world enjoy those songs and possibly use it for their own healing and uh, facing adversity, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've had a handful of people reach out and say that the the lyrical content really spoke to them and that they've been dealing with paralleled situations. And I've made a handful of friends through those interactions, which has been really great. So I'm, I'm really happy that, you know, dealing with some of those feelings of grief and, and stress and et cetera, et cetera, has been a positive outcome for other people as well. Hmm. I uh, I wanted to ask about The Passenger a little bit later, but now is like a perfect time. So I absolutely love the album cover. It's it's incredibly haunting. It's got such a cool artistic flair to it. Um, how did you guys come up with the image and, and how does that relate to the situation that was at hand? Oh, man, that was a challenge. So we had um, we had bought some artwork from an artist named Christopher McKenney, who's based in Pennsylvania. He's a surrealist photographer who does kind of woodsy spooky stuff that really falls in line with the material that we write uh, and I had bought an image from him uh, and in short form unfortunately he had also sold it to another band and um, and had completely lied to us and breached contract mm. and et cetera, et cetera. so he fully ripped us off and this first single of that record called Bottom Feeder had already come out uh, and we had just signed our very first record deal with Basic Records who's based in the UK who we were introduced to by that lovely band, Misery Signals. Um, and we realized very quickly that we were in a really tough bind because we needed to immediately redo all of our work for the album cycle. So all the artwork, all the merch, all of our advertising assets, our video production, everything needed to change overnight. Um, On the release and... date of the single. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. <laughs> On the like, day, so we've been waiting yeah, and waiting, right. and then the single comes out, and then all of a sudden, people are reaching out saying, "Hey, how come you ripped off this other band's album art? That uh, the, like, this band from Australia." About? And so every link that went out featuring the first single with that artwork, you know, you pay for the PR campaign, and then all the PR companies pump out your stuff. New neck of the woods, new neck of the woods. Within a day, all those links were dead. So all the YouTube links to the because we had to take it down because of the artwork that we couldn't use. So this is day one of the campaign that starts and you're missing out on all that premium press because everything had to be taken down. So if anybody wants to click on the new neck of the woods, oh no, we're still getting that sorted out as it had been released. So just, just to yeah, put that in there, but continue, Jeff. Oh yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. It, yeah. That I, sometimes I overlook that <laughs> yeah. because I was so fucking mad. Um, yeah, it was really crushing and it certainly stunted the reach of our record, which, you know, it's neither here nor there. We put it out because we wanted to, because we care about it, not because we're because we're dying to have everybody know who we are. But um, 
regardless, so we were in a bit of a bind. And um, again, I've mentioned how we're both really lucky people to have such incredible folks in our lives. So I, you know, ran out and borrowed a fancy camera for, from a friend of mine who's an art director for a skateboard company. I reached out to my friend, Kevin Moore, who is a designer who's um, exceptional. His design work is under the name Soft Surrogate. I strongly recommend anybody reach out to him if you're looking to have your album artwork done up or a layout for CD or vinyl or whatever you're interested in. Um, but I gave him a call and was like, hey, man, I'm in a huge bind. Um, I have some ideas and I have a bunch of reference photos and I kind of know what I want, but I really need to collaborate with somebody. So him, myself, Dave, um, my now wife, Anastasia, and um, a couple extra friends got together. I ran out and grabbed a bunch of supplies and I was like, okay, we're going to go to the Seymour Forest in Vancouver and we're going to really hope we can get a beautiful photo that lines up. So I grabbed some things that were kind of representative of um, of the lyrical themes. Uh, like you can see the the cloaked figure in white is holding a chalice that's draining kind of a blood-like looking fluid and some roses that are fading and, and withering. There was some, just some fun symbolism that kind of lined up with that kind of stuff. And then I'm actually the person in the black cloak in that photograph. Um, grabbed some smoke grenades and ran out into the woods and we're like, okay, let's, Here we go. let's do our best to really represent this record in one photograph. And it was, <laughs> it was down to the wire. Like the sun was setting. We had one chance to get that photo and we kind of knew what we wanted it to look like. And so fortunately it came together. Um, so we, we shot the photo and we were so excited about it. And as I mentioned, Kevin Moore is a superhero. He totally saved our asses in this situation because he dropped everything he had to do an overnight redid uh, album layout, CD layout, physicals, all of our um, digital advertising assets, animated audio videos. Like he put in 20 hours of work and crammed it into eight and did it overnight through a sleepless night so that on Monday morning when the record label got back to us saying like, hey, so how are you going to remedy this shitstorm? we we had an answer for them and it was amazing and very fortunately it um, was really well received and ultimately i think that that cover represents that music and the lyrical themes much better than the previous one did so it, it was a lot of luck and it was a lot of teamwork and it was um certainly a growing experience it turned out awesome for sure yeah it <laughs> yeah it's it's incredible it's like <clears throat> it's quite haunting it draws the eye in all the right ways do you guys remember the name of the band that had already purchased your um, previous artwork? Uh, they were they're an Australian band, not a not a big band. Yeah. I honestly can't remember. It's been so long. But that oh man, yeah, that, I haven't kept in that touch. That artist Christopher McKenney has is continuing to sell his artwork, and he also provided the artwork for one of the more, one of the recent Faceless albums, mm -hmm. where it's uh, it's mm -hmm. like the white. It's like the ghost with the rope around his neck. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, he, he just yeah. completely ghosted on us and ripped us off. Double sold his art, saying that we had exclusive rights when uh, it had already been used by another band. And I don't know what he, how he thought he was going to get away with it. Um, probably selling yeah. one our, you know, artwork to one band in Australia, one to Canada. Oh yeah, they'll never meet. The internet's not a thing. So uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah. He also did uh, the later, the latest record cover for the the band Zeo from the East yeah. Coast, who's kind of making a resurgence. Right. Uh, and they actually reached out to us, being like, "Hey, 
this Christopher McKenney guy has fully ghosted us and we paid for five images and he's given us like two or something like yeah. that. And I was like, well, here's a funny story for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he, yeah, I was fucking furious with that situation and he, um, you know, denied, 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 and then just fully cut contact. So if you're curious as to where all the angry themes for the survivor <laughs> came from, that was that situation. That's actually what the title track was written in reference to. That's what ambivalence is about. Uh, and that was just, I had actually written a good chunk of the lyrics for Annex of Ire, like within days of the passenger coming out. Cause I was so mad. <laughs> you know what? Back in the day, you probably would have been able to get away with that, but with the onset of the internet, like good fucking luck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of hilarious to think that you could, imagine yourself walking away from a situation like that scott yeah. but i mean in a lot of ways he kind of did because he still he took know, our money I, yeah, yeah i guess and he's he still took doing our it. money yeah yeah he's somehow still doing it which is unfortunate but oh well i have noticed a, a few different artists that do kind of the same thing they take um various pieces of like their their previous work and add them in change them just a little bit to the new stuff and like there's some comparison photos that are n- I would say night and day, but it's basically like day and day uh, between two albums or two bands. It's it's weird how people can get away with that. Yeah, even yeah. Like, I see a lot of sides. Yeah, and trends, even the trends with music and genres. There's trends with art and all that sort of stuff. And uh, there's there's a couple other album covers we've seen out there that look a little similar to the Passenger, but you know maybe it's just coincidence because we know what it looks like. And but. Um, you know, yeah, it, it looks cool. So why wouldn't you want your album to look like that, right? <laughs> yeah, no, sure. yeah. That and like, you know, everything's been done. Yeah. It's like, what, what a bed sheet in the forest yeah. with a smoke grenade. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's not the most original thing in the world. Like, yeah. we were never claiming to be like, we're the pioneers no, of no, this no. imagery. It's not how that goes. Like, all of our stuff is very, like, very referential of classic American horror because that's just thematically stuff that I find interesting in the art that I want to make. So naturally I kind of fall into those tropes, but you know, everything's been done. Like same thing with the cover with the annex of ire, like a painting of wolves. We're not the first band to have a painting of wolves for our album cover. It's, it's not groundbreaking by any means, but it works for us and we're really happy with it. So, you know, everybody's going to fall into those situations where in which they look thematically very similar to somebody else. It's just inevitability because yeah, you know everybody's making art. Everyone's putting stuff out. You're bound to overlap. But we also didn't want another photo for the cover of Annex of Ire. Like we went out of our way to do something different. Um, although we almost did do a totally. photo again, but um, yeah, we just wanted it to be different because the album was going to be different. Well, and I think the difference between like say artwork and a photo too could also um, complement like the change in mood or the change in uh, emotion coming through the music as well. Totally. Yeah, we were a little more hands-off with the cover of the Annex of Ire as well, which is a lot of fun. We gave our record to our friend uh, named Arlen French, who's a phenomenal painter and tattooer and close friend of mine, and just gave him the record. And we're like, we like wolves. We like, I mean, you you can see what we like very clearly based on what we've done. Um, you know, what do you think this album sounds like? And we gave him some reference, and then he kind of came back to us and was like, I think this record sounds like Unrelenting Fury. Here's a painting. Oh, that's cool. Like, oh cool yeah yeah let's use that <laughs> i like how he says it sounds like unrelenting fury that's cool he just picks out yeah picks out an emotion or like a yeah like a feeling 
Yeah, he's a really incredible guy. In fact, we're very, very lucky. We're playing a show tonight in Vancouver with his new band called Guile, and he's um, he's fronting that band uh, alongside a handful of our other close friends, and we cannot wait to see him be on the microphone because he is an eccentric, weird, and wild guy, and I'm sure he's going to have some great stage moves. I'm excited for you guys. I wish I could join you. I wish you could too. <laughs> and if anybody out there who's listening hasn't checked out the artwork of Arlen French, definitely check it out. That guy is exceptional yeah so now that the annex of ire has been out for about two years and looking back at the release how are you guys feeling about it and how do you want to build upon for future music wow <laughs> yeah uh, that came out at the worst possible time yeah. <laughs> the worst possible time yeah that, that album release could not have gone any worse and there's so, and there's um, so much that goes into you know like the album was done you know almost a year before it even came out, right? Like you sit on stuff for so long and you strategize as much as possible and you overthink things and you underthink things and then a pandemic happens. And all of a sudden you're not going to play South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. And Delta Airlines still has your flight credit that they won't give you a refund for. And uh... (laughs) (laughs) No, but it really was the worst time possible because we were extremely, well, we still are extremely proud of that album. But um, yeah, if, if, it felt like it got swept under the rug a little bit because uh, we were unable to tour it properly and and uh, uh, and play it to the masses. Although we're starting to get that chance again, which is awesome. So, you know, we're when we hit the road here in May, so many people have never heard any of these songs or will be hearing it for the first time. Or maybe they, yeah, you know, there's uh, there's still a time, but it was it was it was a bit of a stinger as so many bands experience. You know, we're not, we're not unique to this scenario. But um, but yeah, we were we were pretty pumped to go play South by Southwest. <laughs> I can tell you that. Yeah. Um, and we were following that South by Southwest show with a tour supporting one of my favorite bands of all time, Misery oh. Signals, which I've referenced like ten oh, yeah. times, as well as End and Chamber. Who, my God, those bands are unfucking believable. I would pay money to just go on that tour to watch them play every night because I love both of those bands. So I was really pining to see those kind of things. And it's also like some of our first tours in support of larger acts. Uh, so it was a real, real crusher on that one because we had finally kind of, I'm sure you're familiar, like when it comes to putting out music and, and developing art and putting it out there, it requires a team. You know, it takes, it takes a lot of hands to make those wheels turn. And we had kind of just developed a team and we felt very prepared. We had done a really awesome music video with some really cool people who, you know, put their blood, sweat and tears into our work. And then it just didn't really land, you know, because our record came out on the day that Canada shut down, really, or like a day after. So, I mean, and understandably so, who the hell cares if another band puts out a record? I no longer know how I don't have a job and I can't leave my house and I have to sanitize my groceries when I come home, you know, like it there were bigger fish to fry. I completely understand. It was just a bummer. Mm-hmm. So have you guys had yeah. a chance to play any of those songs live yet? Uh, we, we, we played back in November here in Vancouver and yeah, we played a good chunk of the album, which was really awesome. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, kind of before the album came out, we were playing a couple songs on the road, um, which, which was always fun. Um, but uh, yeah, still some, some songs have only been heard live one. Yeah. I guess just in that November show. And then we played in, in Victoria as well in February. Um, so yeah. And we also, we have a new drummer, Paul, 
Um, so just getting him up to speed with all the new stuff as well. Um, but uh, yeah, looking forward to, to getting those tunes out there now that we have a chance yeah, to. Yeah, by and large, no. <laughs> by and large, we haven't really played these oh, songs. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's kind of challenging to have, <clears throat> you know, as any band will experience, you write and record something, you care about it, you love it, you're proud of it. And then you play it 5,000 times in a row and you're like, holy God, I am tired of playing this song. We haven't reached that point because we haven't even played these songs. We're like, wait, how does this song go again? It's been so long since we've played it because we like did it in studio and then sat around for three years and weren't able to gig. So yeah, it's yeah, kind of funny, but we're, we're really pining to start playing these songs live so that we can start playing some even newer material live too. And so then is it safe to say that you do have new material? Yeah. Yeah. There's a bunch nice. of it. Which kind of sucks because like you guys said, you haven't really been able to fully flesh out the last album. Yeah. But it's also yeah, a good thing. I mean, you also mentioned that um, you wrote a lot of the lyrics for uh, the Annex of Fire shortly after The Passenger came out. So that's quite a few years old at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of funny when it comes to <clears throat> writing lyrics. Um I tend to, you know, write slowly over a long period of time or I'll like batch write a ton of stuff because I have really vibrant and strong feelings about something and the words just seem to come. Mm -hmm. um, so oftentimes I'll write them and like I had mentioned, you know, stuff in the Annex of Ire, I'm saying some things like fuck the high road, which like I very obviously don't believe. I'm a super positive outgoing guy and I have no intention of being a negative Nancy about kind of stuff. But that's how I felt in that moment. And I respect that because you're never going to hold on to the same feeling for your entire life. So I tend to write things, recognize it as a moment in time, and then move on. And I feel like we kind of approach a lot of our music like that, where we're writing something, we're like, this rips, we're into this. And if we're not into it in a couple of years, like, that's fine. We loved it at that moment. We honor that moment and we keep it going. Do you think that um, like your newer, your newer music has some of that aggression or frustration uh, as a result of COVID? Yeah, less so result of COVID. Um, yeah, this record, the newer stuff that we're working on, um, and I don't want to say we're working on a record, we're just kind of writing music. And if it's a record, it's great. If it's just a bunch of songs that we put out intermittently, but also great. Uh, we don't really know how we want to release music anymore because the landscape of music consumption has changed pretty dramatically over the last few years. Um, yeah, there's some aggression, but it's certainly not related to COVID. It's more so just kind of like back to the passenger in that I'm like writing a lot more from my heart and I'm very transparent with my emotions and my feelings. Um, and you'll definitely see that in our newer material as well. Cause there's, you know, there's aggression from COVID, but like, ultimately we're not, as Dave said earlier, like we're not unique in these situations. Everybody is facing these hard times and it's, it's challenging for everybody. So we're not special on that so our newer material is by no means like oh me 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 i'm mad because of that it's like here's things about learning to love yourself and here's why they're hard um kind of more along those lines because there's nothing more metal than learning to love yourself <laughs> it's funny uh, how subject matters change <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah no kidding right yeah covid was a strange time too because you know we because we couldn't do stuff i don't know like we as disappointing as it was, like, we were totally fine. Like, we live in Vancouver in a beautiful place. There was tons of shit to do. We were camping all the time. We were riding our bikes. Like, there was, it was just, we can't do this right now. So there's no point in trying to force something. 
Um, you know, personally, I wasn't writing a ton. I wasn't playing a ton of guitar. I was, I bought a drum kit and I was playing drums cause it was something different and it was something fun. And, uh, yeah, there's lots of days where it's like, are we, you know, are we going to keep doing this? Like we have no idea what the world was going to look like this year and coming up and now things are picking up again, you know, start jamming more set sounding good. Ron comes up with a couple of riffs. I got a couple of riffs going and then, you know, the, the pace starts picking back up, which feels great and playing shows and all that sort of stuff. So you know, the juices are flowing again, but, uh, yeah, we're kind of open to more things. Like Jeff said, we don't know if this is going to be another album. Maybe it's going to, maybe we're going to release songs differently, um, or an EP or what have you. Maybe, yeah, there's, there's a lot of options on the table. We're, uh, we're open to, to ideas and exploring some, some of those ideas, you know? Definitely. Yeah. Um, Jeff, you mentioned like how the music consumption has changed, especially as of late with stuff like streaming. Um, what kind of strategies do you guys have planned or what are you looking at to make sure that you get a little bit more exposure and to make sure that your music isn't swept under the rug so quick? Um, well, I was very fortunate over the last couple of years um, in a lot of ways, as Dave mentioned, like ultimately we were fine. Um, so I pursued a kind of a career change and started to work within the music industry as a digital marketing specialist for an American record label. Mm -hmm. So I started helping them roll out their albums and handle their digital assets, um, which was a lot of fun. And I found that like every band that was working with this label did something different, which I really admired and thought was really cool and really interesting. Um, but when it comes to our band, based on kind of what we're up against and where our personal lives are at and our goals and ambitions, we're just kind of realigning to set more realistic bite-sized chunks. Um, you know, like a record is pretty daunting. It requires it to be totally transparent, a huge amount of upfront cash. Like you're throwing 10 to 15 grand at something that, you know, a band like us, like, yeah, we've worked with the record label, but we don't have financial backing. Mm -hmm. we're, we're entirely self-funded. So doing things like recording a couple songs and putting out a couple songs seems a lot more realistic. Not to mention, like, as we experienced with Annex of Ire, you know, your band's career and trajectory isn't really up to you. You don't really get to choose these things because they're, they're just going to happen. So you kind of got to flow with it and go with it. So to put out something like a full record that we're really proud of and we're very excited to release um, to have something like that lack traction can be really personally heartbreaking. So if we're instead of focusing on like putting all of our eggs in the album basket and blasting it out all in one foul swoop for everyone to hear as wonderful as that may be, you know, maybe circumstance doesn't line up when we strategize to put it out. So doing more incremental bite-sized chunks, like record a couple songs, put them out record a couple songs, put them out. Like, just let people hear your stuff instead of kind of sitting back and waiting to have this, like, grand album to release, which is something we absolutely enjoy doing because it's really nice to have thematic continuity through a set of songs and, and to develop, you know, artwork and music videos and stuff that surrounds that. But it seems to me, based on my experience, that music consumption is a lot more of a singles game. Um, and to be transparent, we're not really that interested in playing games, but we do just want to put out music. So like Dave said, you know, we had recorded the Annex of Ire and then we sat on it for like a year, which sucked, man. It sucks to have something that you're like excited about, that you're proud of, that you love, that you just want the world to hear and then release it a year later. You're like, oh, man, come on. Yeah, that, And that was not by choice. That was just the way. No. Uh, the label worked as in the cycle of releases. It's, you know, they it just it put the album in line 
and okay, you're fifth to release this year or whatever. So this is when it's going to happen because we have to release these other things before. So it's not like we were sitting on it being like, what do we do? What do we do? It's just it's the way it goes. Yeah, we were just kind of waiting in line to put out our stuff, which is fair and reasonable yeah. and ultimately how record labels function, yeah. um, which is totally cool. No shame on that. But we just want to kind of put stuff out a little more frequently instead of just kind of waiting patiently, you know? It almost keeps you at the top of like, um, at the top of like, say the search bar or whatever. Like if you're putting out singles every few months or something like that, it's different than an album because it's not once every few years. Um, and then like, obviously with streaming, it seems like there's so many different albums coming out every week. Like there's at least 20, 30, 40 albums a week and it's hard to get through everything, but a single you listen to in a few minutes and there you go. A little more digestible, you know, it fits the attention economy that we are all facing and that we're all a part of. And it, yeah, as you said, it helps you kind of stay on the top of the search bar. But I mean, as we were talking about earlier, like when it comes to realigning goals and stuff, we're ultimately writing music together because we like spending time together and we like writing these riffs and we like yelling about our feelings and we just like what we're doing. So it's, we've kind of adjusted to be a little bit more for us and a little bit less for growth. So if we put something out and it, comes out at a time that you know maybe is less than ideal just like annex like that's fine we're doing it because we like it not because we need to be something to be someone to be somewhere we just want to put out music that we enjoy and speaking of um like playing music that you guys enjoy um this will be your third year i think at loud as hell yeah 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 it is yeah it's gotta be <laughs> Se- second we're both sitting time. here Probably like third. going through our memories i trust you your first year was that uh that was in 2017 i think the first uh the same year of the release of the passenger that sounds yeah. right and then and then 2019 no did we oh yes. man it's been so long now yeah, yes i know well the <laughs> last like two years time. have been fictional like yeah. it's the last two years haven't counted in life so it's the covid time warp yeah yeah right but yeah, we're, we're definitely looking forward to that show. It's always a good time. And uh, same with Armstrong as well. Um, but uh, loud as hell, yeah, they've, they've always treated us well. So we're excited to play that gig. So what keeps you guys coming back? Um, I mean, we're always, Alberta is kind of like our second home, you know, with Jeff being from Calgary and, uh, and you know, playing shows in Calgary and Edmonton and a couple of West Coast tours. It's just, you know, logical for BC bands to go try and, um, you know, play shows in Alberta without having to go too far east and, and kill yourselves on those long drives. But um, yeah, so so yeah, Drumheller is a bit of a drive, but we can always, you know, make uh, extend it by a few days and go visit Jeff's parents in Calgary, set up home base there and then rip up to Drumheller and back sort of thing. So that uh, cuts down the drive a little bit. Um, Definitely. But uh, yeah, no, we always have a good time uh, playing those Alberta shows. Yeah, it's still a 14-hour drive. Yeah. Not killing yourself on these <laughs> yeah. long drives is yeah. kind of... Like, it's still 14 hours. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's because I get to see my parents, and it's awesome, and I love it, and I get to go say hi to my mom and my dad, and then, like, I grew up in rural Alberta, so it, it's always, like, a trip down memory lane, and you go to Drumheller and see the Hoodoos and the Royal Tyrell Museum, and it's just, ge- like, geologically such a fascinating space, and it's, it's really fun. The organizer of the festival, Jeff, is always, as Dave mentioned, like, treats us really well and is really kind, and you know, you just get to hang out with a bunch of bands all in one place. It's like there's you're guaranteed to make friends. It's a bunch of like-minded folks who just want to hang out and enjoy some heavy metal stylings. So yeah, like we're 
That's why we like, go we're back. pretty good buddies with the dudes in Carcosa, uh, Andrew and Johnny and uh, and Travis, and you know they're we're quite different genre wise. Um, totally, you know, and they're, they're yeah, blowing plus. up on the internet nonstop. But anytime at Loud as Hell or you know any of the shows, we just end up hanging out with those guys and having a good time. Um, so yeah, it's uh, and they're they're playing Loud as Hell this year as well. So. Uh, that'll be cool, but we know we got some buds we can hang out with, so it'll be great. Yeah, I'm pretty stoked that they're on the bill. Same with you guys. Like I, I've, I didn't know about some of these bands before looking at uh, the Loud as Hell webpage, and then starting to kind of, like I guess, explore all the different music. There's a lot of good bands playing. Yeah, a lot of new bands as well. Um, yeah, time, like you know, times have changed, right? There's so many bands have started up over COVID as well, and just touring is kind of touch and go. So availability is, is also, uh, you know, a topic and, um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be great, man. And then are you guys staying for the full three days? Uh, probably. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll, Maybe we'll probably be there at least two of the nights. Yeah, I imagine so. Like there's a, a good handful of bands I want to see. And like what you were just mentioning there, Jeff, as well is like, it's such a great way to discover new bands. Like, mm-hmm. Personally, I'm always on the hunt for new records. I download five to ten records a week and, you know, listen to them while I run so that I can really sink into them. And at a metal festival, it's like, okay, let's see who's doing what. And more often than not, a live performance will grab me more than a digital release. And it's always super fun to see, like, wow, there's like 20 bands I don't know on this, like, which is always kind of flabbergasting, you know, when you're like, but I've been doing this for 10 years. How do I not know these guys? <laughs> How is that even possible? But uh, it's always yeah, really fun to discover new bands. Random question about running. Um, when you're running, do you do you gravitate towards a certain genre of metal, or what what bands work best while you're running? I have trouble um, finding the right cadence and stuff like that. So uh, it depends on what your running goals are. That's really, fair. I mean, we could talk deep on running if you like. <laughs> but uh, when it comes to if I'm like doing shorter, more interval oriented sprinting kind of stuff, where I'm trying to like pace a fast 5k, uh, I really, really like listening to Unearthed. Uh, what is the record Watchers of Rule? Because it just keeps a steady, super steady double kick. And like they're constantly riding the China at a time that lines up with the cadence of my feet. Mm-hmm. So it's really easy to kind of mindlessly just keep that rhythm based on what you're hearing unless uh you know is as fun as it is to run to like you know some of your favorite records like i love listening to early opeth records there's too many peaks and valleys i just need something that drives the whole time so yeah like old unearth is just awesome for that so a classic um, metalcore album is what you're looking for <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah a classic borderline <laughs> dynamicless record is exactly what i need something that just is like dun 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 for yeah. an hour is like okay perfect that's what i need um i do actually have a playlist that is attached to our band spotify called full send uh that is often the playlist that i listen to when i run uh, because it's just like a collection of songs with a high BPM and consistent cadence. So I listen to that one all the time. Maybe check out that playlist. Maybe it'll suit you. Maybe it won't. But... Well, I'm sure that at least a couple songs will. Yeah, at the very least, I'm sure it will. You said we could go deep into running. Like, how deep does that get? I've, I've always just put on shoes and gone for a quick run. And then when I get tired, I go home. Yeah, fair. In the past couple of years, um, you know, I've had a great deal of time on my hands. So I've spent a lot of time running uh, and have adjusted a handful of running goals. So I sunk a good chunk of time into 
doing short distance at speed, mm -hmm. which is a whole world of interesting breathing techniques, foot strikes, uh, nutrition. And the other half of it was last year I ran my first ultra marathon, uh, which was 51 kilometers and 2,300 meters of elevation. Um, and, and that's, that's a whole different world of, um, running style technique and more than anything head game that runs of that length are, are more mental than they are physical in my personal opinion. Um, yeah. So if there's a particular running topic you want to explore, I've been very, very lucky to spend a great deal of time on my feet in the last couple of years. Hmm. 51 kilometers. That's nuts. That's yeah, it was nuts. a lot. I don't know if I'm going to do that again. <laughs> was that all in one but go or did you get to break it up a little bit? Uh, one go. It took just shy of 10 hours. Um, of, of consecutive running. So it, it was a lot. And a toenail. Uh, it, was, it was 10 hours yeah, and a toenail. That actually, I lost the toenail at a race. Oh, okay. I, I ran a race in January and that was a 13 kilometer trail race. And I was, I don't race very often because I um, lose toenails. I lose toenails. <laughs> yeah. I tend to, that's the sole I tend reason. To my overlook. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to overlook what's good for my body and instead just fucking send it. Um, but when it comes to running, I think it's really important that no matter what distance you're doing is to listen to your body. If you ache, you should stop. If you hurt, you should stretch and relax and focus on recovery because, you know, recovery is super important and respecting your body and its limits is even more important. So just make sure you don't measure your own level of success against the metrics of other runners because that's unrealistic. Mm -hmm. Everybody has a different body type, style, cadence, et cetera, et cetera. And what's most important is just keeping yourself as comfortable as you can while enjoying your time pounding the pavement with your feet. And with a lot of these lockdowns, a lot of people, uh, a lot of people did do a lot of fitness-related activities. Some people fixed up their house, but some other people decided not to do anything at all. If you're going to give some advice to people just getting back into um, whether it be running or, or physical activity, what would it be? Oh man, kind of just. Similar to what I just said, you know, listen to your body, respect yourself, understand your limits and recognize that it's incremental steps over a period of time that achieve goals. It's, um, it's not about racing to a finish line because ultimately there is no finish line. It's just about making sure that you're comfortable and feeling well supported with your own actions and your own mental health. Uh, and also another thing that I've been really wrestling with, which are topics that you'll certainly see explored in our upcoming music as well is self image. Um, it fitness is really really important and my ideas of how i interact with it have, have pretty dramatically changed it's it's not about having a crush and six-pack abs because that's just unrealistic and and for movie stars who have a trainer and somebody preparing all their meals for them it's about making sure that you feel good the brass tacks are like if your heart and your lungs feel good that's what's important just make sure that you're realistic with yourself about your long-term goals I've adjusted mine to be making sure that I am always in a physical position where in which I am not held back from the things I want to do. You know, I exercise daily so that when I go surfing, I'm in the water for four hours. When I go mountain biking, I'm, I'm in the saddle for five to six. Like I don't need to rest because I'm fatigued because I get so excited to go do these things. So I don't want my body to hold me back versus in prior years, like when we released the passenger, all I wanted to do was have a crushing six pack to be on stage. And now you're going to see me in the next couple of years um, with a beer gut and, 
you know, the stamina to run 50K. So (laughs) things change, you know. It is interesting how things change over the years and especially with uh, like different things that happen in your life. Obviously, COVID was a big one. Um, Like you said earlier, Jeff, like your your sister. um, But recently, like uh, I had a daughter and that changed my perspectives um, quite a bit and realized and make me realize that, you know, family is way more important than some of the other stuff I was doing before. Yeah, congratulations, yeah. by the way. Oh, well done. She's awesome. Um, she's almost two now, so it's been, I guess, a little bit, but uh, I definitely couldn't be happier, and it's it's easily the best journey I've ever started. Nice. And now you get to be rad dad. Yeah, well, let's hope so. <laughs> <laughs> She'll probably call me boring when she can talk, but... You know, <laughs> 100%. 100%. And it's just going to start dating you in ways that you've never understood, you know? Like, I don't have children, but many of both of our friends do Dave and I both have a lot of friends with kids and you know, you start to see these kids grow and you're like, Oh my God, I'm old. What the hell are you even talking about? What is this trend you're interested into? Tick tock. What the fuck are you talking about? It's just like, it just makes you feel old every time you're around a kid. So I'm sure you'll experience that every day. <laughs> I, I felt like that before having a kid because I didn't know who any of the celebrities were. It's going to get I worse. I don't really follow social media. So it's like, ah, oh, fuck. I'm already, behind the at the eight ball in this how do you keep up with all the bands if uh you don't keep up with social media just out of curiosity um generally speaking i i do a lot of not a lot of research i wouldn't say that but i i went down the spotify rabbit hole quite a few times yeah i'm just starting to stay in line with my preferred genres and stuff and then after i don't want to say exhausting that but after going down the rabbit hole it starts to change sounds a little bit so Mm. I started to explore when I, I felt like, oh, a straight death metal wasn't quite doing it for me, or if yeah. I had enough of mellow death or whatever, then oh, let's try something else. Let's try some blues for a while. Nice. Um, I check on metal injection every week. Oh, yeah. I've yeah. done that for years. Yeah. But recently with the podcast, I've just been trying to keep up on weekly releases, trying to find new bands that I haven't heard, and especially looking at more Canadian bands. Oh, cool. And I, I'm unbelievably surprised with the amount of fucking talent that we have in this country yeah no doubt i cannot eh? believe it yeah um yeah canadian bands uh you know it's almost there's just sometimes it feels like there aren't quite the opportunities that the u.s bands have you know whether it's the only being you know only having to drive a couple hours to the next gig um and you know and the and music schools and whatnot um yeah, it seems not to not to like say that. Oh, they get a lot, blah blah blah. But um, it it can be tough to to tough it out as a Canadian metal band, um, you know, for so long. Well, I mean, sure. as a country, we're way bigger. Um, we have yeah, what ten percent of the population. Yeah, exactly. And and then there's a distance, like you already touched on. It's, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, but the best part is, is that we're not in America. <laughs> also true. That's just great. I would pick. I would drive fourteen hours to play a gig to no people <laughs> yeah. instead of living a populous dense yeah. yeah, no, area no that's complaints. abolishing. Don't upward. get me yeah. wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how that is. Like I even feel that um, uh, that Calgary here is is quite large compared to what I'd prefer. But then going down to the states and seeing like a massive city and then you drive out of the city uh, limits and then there's another city right there. You're like, what, what's going on? Yeah. Well, you're, I'm sorry. You, you did just say you're in Calgary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're about to absorb Airdrie and Red Deer. It's only a matter of time until, oh, yeah. and Cochrane as well. Like the suburbs are, I grew up in Silver Springs and mm-hmm. I went to Bones high school and Mount Royal university. And when I was there, like, um, may I ask what area of the city you live in? 
right now I just live in the southeast. Um, okay. I know cool. it's pretty huge, but uh, yeah, we can chat a yeah, little bit more in detail later if you'd like. Oh, it's just curious because like when I was a kid and I grew up out there, like the suburb that I was in, that was the end of the city. Mm -hmm. And now it's like it goes as far as the eye can see, you know, and Vancouver is similar. It's just getting denser and denser and denser and fuller. Well, at least this. Vancouver, they've built up, whereas Calgary, they seem to want nothing more than to keep building outward. It's nuts. So we don't really have a choice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mountain and ocean kind of keep us stuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, if I may make a suggestion for discovery, if you're interested, check out Bandcamp and their Discover application. Okay. It's excellent because you can search, like, if you're like, I want to know who's a death metal band specifically in Toronto mm -hmm. or specifically in whatever region around the globe, you can break down uh, to location, which is something Spotify doesn't offer, which is a lot of fun because mm -hmm. each pocket of the of the you know western hemisphere has a very different flavor and kind of style so it's kind of fun to explore music that way just as a suggestion you might like it yeah no that sounds great i'm quite new to Bandcamp. like i've made purchases and stuff but i've never really built playlists or kind of explored the site itself dave yeah i know that you're endorsed by prs guitars and seymour duncan pickups yes uh, how did you get involved with the, these companies and, and how does it feel to be sponsored uh it's an absolute honor um seymour duncan uh came uh, through uh, Andrew Baina, actually, from Carcosa, who was endorsed mm -hmm. by Seymour Duncan. And we hit up the NAM convention in California there in 2019 um, and got to meet AJ from Seymour Duncan. And uh, that went really well and hit them up. And the next thing you know, I'm playing their pickups, which has been mm -hmm. awesome because uh, legendary brand. Uh, they've been around forever. And I mean, there's there's tons of good pickups out there. Um, right now I'm using the Sentient Pegasus set, which is a real good medium output pickup. Um, really good for the type of stuff that we do. Great for high gain stuff. Great for the clean stuff. Um, a lot of clarity and, and uh, all, those, all those good things. So pretty happy with that. And then PRS. Uh, technically, I'm not a full PRS artist. I am a PRS Pulse artist, um, okay. which was only supposed to be for a year. Um, it's just a program that they started to shed light on uh, local players, regional players. Um, you know, obviously not John Mayer or Carlos Santana. There's huge names who play PRS. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I got accepted into the Pulse Artist program in 2000 and for 2021, and then they extended it. Uh, they gave everybody an extension due to COVID, obviously, because um, we were just stuck at home, and you can only take so many photos of your guitar uh, to post on Instagram. Um, so it's great now that, uh, you know, we have the tour coming up and shows and all that stuff, uh, can be a bit more active there. Um, and then, yeah, the Pulse Artists will run for till the end of this year. And then, uh, it's sort of touch and go from there. So we'll see what happens, but, um, yeah, it's, it's an absolute honor. They're a legendary brand. Um, you know, uh, between the Buried and me, we're playing PRS for a long time. Dusty Waring, obviously a big influence on my playing, uh, Paul's back with Ibanez now, um, and Opeth also playing PRS. So. We we're always kind of drawn. Um, well, personally, I was always kind of drawn uh, to those guitars. And then Ron also was a Gibson guy for years. Also jumped aboard, and he's a 2022 Pulse artist as well. Uh, he also picked up a Dusty wearing uh, signature PRS in uh, Smoke Burst Blue, uh, which he's pretty pumped on, and a Fiore as well, another uh, PRS guitar. Um, so yeah, it's uh, like I said, it's an absolute honor, and um, those guitars aren't going anywhere. We'll be playing them till uh, my fingers fall off. So <laughs> awesome! 
how did you guys both get into music? And then uh, obviously the question's a little bit different, but how did you guys start to learn your respective instruments? And Jeff, obviously that's vocals for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go ahead. Dave. Oh, um, I started playing when I was 10 or 11. Uh, I was lucky enough to get into the jazz band program at school and all that sort of stuff and had a really good music teacher there. And um, there was always music in my household. My parents were always listening to classic rock. I'm pretty sure my dad saw Jethro Tull 15 times live uh, back in the day. <laughs> and my parents went and saw Led Zeppelin and all that. So growing up, it was learning those classic rock tunes. And obviously, anybody who wants to play guitar, you're going to be learning Jimi Hendrix and Steve Ray Vaughan and all that good stuff. Um, and then it just sort of transferred into metal eventually as I got older because, you know, just drawn towards, uh, um, you know, the, the skill level that, um, you know, you listen to something, a cool metal song, oh, I want to be able to play that. And, and uh, oh, this song is sweet picking. Well, I need to be able to do that, too. And so it kind of just pushed me as a musician, I guess, uh, wanted to be able to, to uh, master some of those skills or uh, master some of those skills, I guess. But um so yeah, that, that was kind of the draw to metal for me, I guess. And, and uh, yeah, it's uh, just having a guitar in your hands and, and you can play at home, you can play on the couch, just uh, riffing away. It's a, it's a great thing. Yeah, it is a great yeah. thing. I am not a musician. <laughs> I wish I was, uh, but I am not. I am a front person. I'm, I'm not uh, a singer either. I mean, I sing at home all the time to my wife who loves it. Um, and I love karaoke, but I'm a front person. I've been a performer since I was a kid. Uh, fun fact is my dad is a magician. My family had an agent when I was growing up. So I was on stage right from when I was like six onwards, since I was able to like carry props out to him on stage. So I've, I've been really used to it for a long time. I've always really enjoyed public speaking uh, and have been kind of pursuing avenues in, in that aspect for quite a while. Uh, and then when it came to metal, like, uh, you know, we've spoken about my sister quite a bit. When I was a kid, she told me what I liked. She was like, you like heavy metal and skateboarding. And I was like, okay, you're the coolest. Of course I like that. <laughs> so naturally I fell in line with that. And I just listened to every band that she fed me. And very fortunately, every band she fed me was just like a sweet, gnarly metal band. And, uh, and I uh, had always imagined playing in bands and I like played bass in high school, but I was terrible at it. Uh, and I was more focused on skateboarding anyways. Um, so I very fortunately ended up meeting Dave uh, sometime around when I moved to Vancouver in like 2011 or something like that. 2012, I think. I think I met you in 2012, Dave. Yeah, 2012, 2013. Ish, yeah. Through a mutual friend. Um, and he was at the, he had done vocals in a band that Dave was playing in prior to Neck of the Woods. Um, and he, he and I, you know, hit it off. We became close friends really quickly. And over that time, he was like, Jeff, you know, my old bandmates are still jamming. And I think you, like, you, you seem like the guy who would do really well with being a vocalist. So if you're at all interested in learning, and I was like, dude, of course, I've just every time I've tried doing the death metal thing, I've like fried my voice and I have no idea how to do it. So he taught me in my basement suite in Vancouver and I annoyed the piss out of my neighbors learning how to yell. Uh, and it took me quite a bit of time to figure it out, but I eventually figured it out and he introduced me to Dave and then we started playing a neck of the this is So this is actually yeah, my first band. Yeah, this is still Jeff's first oh, band. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I haven't played in a band prior to Neck of the Woods, which is kind of funny to it think. It is. Uh, and he sounded awful. Yeah. He sounded terrible, those first few jams. <laughs> it was really bad. 
It was really bad. It, we we didn't I know what we were going to do. They've, they've liked me so much. He was just like, oh, man, this guy is a terrible vocalist, but I just want to hang out with him all the time. So I think that's why I got the part. It was um, a bit of an investment, let's say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's true. I love the honesty. <laughs> you got to start somewhere. Yeah, well. you know? Exactly. Yeah, knows. the potential was, and like you said nice. earlier, Jeff, it's it's a small incremental steps, right? It's not you can't just be an expert in something when you dive right in. It's yeah. like that's oh, completely gosh, unrealistic. No. Yeah, and the learning process is the exciting process, man. It's it's personally, I recognize like it's it's daunting starting something new. It's scary chasing a new path, but like the best part about it of about being at the bottom is that everywhere you go is up you always have the opportunity to learn something, to grow, to change. And then maybe you learn something that shoves you in a totally different direction that you totally did not see coming. And you find something that you're excited about. So being crap at something is actually great. Well, exactly. <laughs> and then you learn through failure. Like you, if you, if you don't succeed the first time, you know exactly what it was, which led to your failure. So you just change that a little bit and then continue moving on. Yeah, exactly. Or if you're me, you fail at it like 20 <laughs> times and you're like, Oh, I got this. And then, it's perseverance. You just keep going. What styles of music do you generally gravitate towards for both of you? We're, we both listen to a lot of stuff. Um, Jeff more so than me, I'd say. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, Jeff's way better at seeking out new music than I am, I guess. Um, but like, I still listen to a lot of the same same stuff between The Barry to Me and Opeth and all those influences that have always... Uh, uh, had an impact on us. Colors 2 was an awesome Between the Bear to Me album, that last one that they came out with. Um, really enjoy listening to that. Um, but we also get off on tangents into Hawaiian music and surf music when we're just like chilling at the beach or whatever. Or, like we, we do enjoy our non-metal just as much as we do love uh, the heavy metal as well. Um, yeah, old country tunes and stuff. And, you, you know, coming up on this tour in May, we're like, we got to get a real good desert driving through the desert playlist going so um you know putting old door songs on there and willie nelson and stuff and like we just really want to uh <laughs> make sure it's a good drive and and set set the soundtrack appropriately nice yeah i didn't i was gonna throw you under the bus dave but i didn't even really have to dave does not seek out new <laughs> no, no i send dave new music like twice a week i'm like dude check out this album it fucking rips and then like a month later i'm like yo you listen to that record he's like who? Yeah, really, <laughs> like, really bad for it. No, he's he's really really bad at that. But I'm glad that he admits it. I I as you said, like I chase new music every week. I make sure to like spend an hour each week just dumping new albums onto my phone, and then I listen to them either when I run or when I have time to myself. Uh, and I have a pretty broad spectrum, as Dave was saying as well. Like I, you know, I end up absorbing music from all the other people around me, and my wife has pretty different tastes than I have had traditionally, and it's really pulled me into a whole different world of stuff but like the music that i've been most excited about lately um i, I just found the record big band bossa nova which everybody knows because it has that awesome powers theme song on it but <laughs> that is part of some like martini bar playlists that i cannot get enough of i've been really into country artists like dale hollow orville peck um and many, many other country folks that I've been really down with. I've also been like hitting another resurgence of like really old style hardcore. So like there's a local band called Punitive Damage that's, you know, pretty straight shooting, you know, your typical D beat hardcore, which is a lot of fun. And then I just love a lot of electronic music. I'm really down with uh, lo-fi 
beats and mixes. Monster Rally is one of my favorite artists. Um, I've been really into shoegaze lately too. There's this album by a band called Fleshwater that is made up of the members of the band Bane. That's just so good. Can't get enough of that. I love bands like Future Islands and yeah, I could go on forever. I, I am expansive in my genre taste. There's nothing that I really actively dislike. Oh, I can't fucking stand pop country. It kills me. I can't do That's it. Given. <laughs> That's understandable. Yeah. Yeah, it just it just kills me. But like I'm very down with a lot of country, but pop country, ugh. Blow my <laughs> brains out. Can't take it. As a genre, I've given country like quite a few chances. Like I've even gone to a couple of concerts. Um, I grew up on the stuff, and I I just can't stand it. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, but no takes, success there. It for takes me. a lot of weeding through. As does metal sometimes too. You know, it's yeah, like, that's true. Yeah, um, but yeah, when when you when you catch a good song with a good story, a good country song with a good story, it's uh, it's easier to enjoy than some of the hollow stuff. But also just some of those cool guitar tones. A lot of the pedal steel stuff, um, mm-hmm. I don't know, that kind of does it for me on some of the old outlaw country and whatnot, um, and just that cool Telecaster tone. So yeah, it's still you know coming back to the the uh, the the sounds that they're creating rather than uh, the whole genre, I guess. But um, you know, like, and there's some ripping country players out there as well. Um, but uh, not to get too far into that, um, but yeah. Who I never thought we'd be talking about country music at uh, this point. Oh man, you know? <laughs> there's so many good records out right now. If um, Jeff, if you haven't taken the time, you should check out an artist called Charlie Crockett. Okay. He's got a record called "Welcome to Hard Times" that is just one of my favorite albums. Another album uh, that's excellent is by an artist named Paul Cawthon. His record "Room 41" is just phenomenal. Like these country records that are just so good that are absolutely worth your time. Are, are out there. I'll send you a, a hefty list of the good stuff. That sounds great. I appreciate it. And as far as uh, people looking for your guys' music, where is the best place for them to find it for you? Uh, the internet. <laughs> um, <laughs> they have it on computers now. Yeah, yeah they, they, you can have it kind of anywhere you like it, really. Um, <laughs> Spotify and Apple Music, uh, though to be completely transparent, those companies are both fucking evil. Mm. Uh, so maybe check out Bandcamp if you want to like. If you want to actively support bands, check out Bandcamp. If you just want music consumption, which like no shame, I use Spotify every day. Um, our music is available on Spotify and Apple and Deezer and every new streaming platform that's under the surface of the sun. So. But yeah, Bandcamp's band the number one way to support the band. Yeah, and any band, yeah, any band. for future reference. Yeah. So I just heard about Deezer. I've no, I've noticed that I've, quite a few bands have their um, their bands podcasts, everything like that. Um, what other sites or kind of what other services are are they similar to? Is Deezer similar to? Yeah. Deezer is similar to like Pandora, um, mm. which was largely only available in America for a good chunk of time. Um, I think, I'm not sure where Deezer came from, but it's certainly at the forefront of a lot of different artists' campaigns. I think it's just because they offer different royalty splits and they algorithmically function differently than Spotify does. Okay. Um, but I mean, they're certainly not wildly far off by any means. Just trying to change the, the formula a little bit to get maybe more of a crowd or something like that. Uh, yeah, to actually lobby more attention economy to sell more advertising space and make more money. So mm-hmm. like, yeah, they're they're just about the same <laughs> not yeah. to be like bleak and blunt but <laughs> I, I worked in the music industry for a good chunk of time and truthfully was pretty disenchanted by it, it was mm. like oh this is a lot of sharks in a small pond um 
But yeah, these are just like, I don't have a bad thing to say about them. They're just about the same as any other streaming platform. Fair enough. Guys, I want to thank you again for spending this time with me today. And I hope to catch up with you guys at Loud as Hell. Thanks for having us. Yeah, that would be Yeah, come say hi. We'll hang out, have a beer or a water, whatever, you know. (laughs) Depends on (laughs) it's before or after your set. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in. And we will see you next time on Gyro Nation Metal. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. The podcast can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you would like to support this podcast, please consider checking out my Patreon. Thank you.